Have you asked yourself, who am I now that things have changed? Or what's next? Or why does it feel like something is missing? Do you know what you want? If so, what's holding you back? Maybe you feel stuck and wish you could get out of your own way. You're not alone. You'll get insight from every angle on these topics and more on the Tips for the Transition, the Career Roadmap podcast. Every week, you can learn the tips and proven techniques to get you out of that rut and feel more confident and resilient. So join us and eavesdrop on our conversations. Hello and welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. I am so excited to say that this is our first episode of Season 7 of Tips for the Transition, the Career Roadmap. I'm Maria Tomas-Keegan, and I created this show to share resources, tips, and practical strategies that help women navigate career and life changes and challenges, and most importantly, so that they know they are not alone. Each week, my guest and I co-create a show to encourage women to be more confident, resilient, and brave in their career and life choices. And now we go live weekly every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific time on the E360 TV network, uh, which you can find on your favorite streaming services like Roku and Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV. And we go live simultaneously on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook, where you can interact with us. So if you, and as always, if you prefer to listen to your favorite shows, we're still on all the podcast channels. So if something inspires you today and you want more, subscribe to your favorite channel, leave us a comment, share your favorite episodes, and let's create more ripples around the world for women. And don't forget, in the show notes below, there are ways for you to connect directly with my guest and me. So when someone inspires me because of who she is and what she does, I, I am always eager to have her as, as a guest on my show. And after she appears once and our conversation isn't over, I invite her back. So it is with great pleasure and eager anticipation that I bring back Linda Rossetti. Linda is a former CEO, a profoundly experienced Fortune 500 uh, executive, uh, a board director, and an expert on transitions in organizations and our lives. She has dedicated the last decade, easy for me to say, uh, to elevating our understanding of transitions and empowering individuals to respond differently at the crossroads of their lives. She's written two books, Dancing with Disruption, that's her latest one, and Women in Transition, which delve into the emotional and practical aspects of navigating life and career transitions. The stories in her books have validated my perspective on the effects of change and the phases we go through when we're going through a transition. I can't tell you how many times I've said out loud while reading her books, I felt the same thing, or it's comforting to know I'm not the only one who has gone through this. I'm not alone. 
Her passion lies in fostering new conversations that delve into how we respond to and navigate transitions in our careers and lives. With her expertise, Linda creates a space where transitions become empowering and enlightening journeys. So I'm so happy to have Linda back to chat about our navigating transitions. Hello, Linda. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Maria. Congratulations on uh, season seven. And I'm so honored to be here. I love the work that you do. So I'm, I'm excited for our conversation. Thank you. Well, it's a mutual admiration society because I love the all of the research that you've put into this topic of transitions and all of the stories that you share through the through your books. Uh, so I know we're going to touch on all all kinds of stories today. So let's let's just start with uh, why this topic of transition means so much to you. Oh, Maria, it's such an excellent question. And I think that it, there's probably two buckets that I should start with, right? The first is really, you know, uh, like many of your listeners, I experienced a wrenching transition almost more than a decade ago now. And I didn't really understand what was happening. And, and as you mentioned in your, in your introduction, I thought it was just me. My first response is, my goodness, what's wrong with me? And, and I think that that was so troubling to me. At the time, I had had these like major life events happen, right? I lost my dad to a long challenge with cancer. I had sold a company that I started and ran, which had been a dream of a lifetime. And, and, and you know, I had, um, I had uh, welcomed uh, the second of two children that were born 16 months apart, uh, right around my 40th birthday. So there were these incredible things that were happening. And I, at the time, like many of us, um, you know, I was, I was searching for what to do and I had an opportunity to take on a new job. And I'm like, oh yeah, it sounds like a great idea. I hadn't really processed any of all those big changes that were happening. And so in taking that job, I ran, 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 ran um, until I couldn't. And I ran for about four and a half years and almost keeled over. And my, my question to myself is, my goodness, what's wrong with me? And I couldn't really find an answer anywhere that helped me understand what was going on. And that frightened me more than anything that frightened me. But it also intersected with the other bucket. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in my late 50s. I'm somebody who believes that women and and all sorts of communities um, have so much to give in our world. And it's always been my work to try to make sure that underserved communities are given the stage that they're brought forward. And and I noticed in my own experience of transition, as well as in the experience of others who I started to get to as I started to do research, was that too often people were stalling, disengaging, or retreating. And that was causing me to really kind of come apart on this second bucket because I had worked my whole life shoulder to the wheel, push, 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 to try to make sure that we had equity for all sorts of people. And here I saw this this topic that was causing people to kind of head for the sidelines. And I was like, wait a minute, this is this can't make any sense. And so um, I guess long-winded answer to your question is I had a personally wrenching experience that I struggled to understand. And that intersected with something that had been a lifelong passion of mine. And those two things together 
really caused me to say, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? And that is what began what now has been a decade of research and advocacy to try to help us think differently about these transitions and bring bring so much of who we are to them because they really are enormous gateways to more. Right. I know that that's so true, having been through a few of my own. Um, So let's talk about, you just said, how people think about this thing we we call it's a you know we label transitions i know i know some people don't think about it in those terms but how would you invite our audience to think about transitions and their own journey and maria i'd love that you start with that question right because um just even in your question i hear there's a struggle, like, what is this? What is this thing, right? The vocabulary is insufficient for this, right? You know, and, and, and particularly using the word transition because, you know, the LGBTQ community uses transitions to mean a very specific thing, right? A gender shift. But, you know, we are using it in a much more neutral um, perspective. And so um, I would love us to think about two words that we use interchangeably in our society in a slightly different way. And those words are change and transition. And I have to say that my ability to talk about this is really born on some research that I've done, right? So um, I've probably sat down and done one-on-run or focus group interviews with nearly 400 individuals who've navigated major upheaval in their careers or in their lives. And as a result, you know, I have this perspective on vocabulary uh, because, you know, probably 90% of all those people in that in that kind of sample struggled similarly to what you just did, which is, well, how, what do I call this thing? But the other thing that was fascinating is as you looked across their experience of these shifts in their lives, regardless of their circumstances, the patterns were exactly the same. So it didn't matter if somebody perhaps lost a job or, um, went through an empty nest or retirement or had a physical challenge that altered the way that they could participate in life or had a breakup or any one of a thousand other circumstances that could bring them to this moment of a potential shift. And so from their stories, I learned that changes in that context of when we're at this moment of kind of instability in our lives, changes are really used to make variations or alterations on a fixed self-concept, right? So I'm a butcher, I'm a baker, I'm a candlestick maker, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be occupational. It can be our faith. It can be our relationships, whatever. But, but when we opt for change, we're making an alteration or variation, but we're leaving intact the way we think about ourselves, right? Versus transitions. Transitions occur in very different ways. They occur when there is a shift in what holds value and meaning to us. Yeah. And as a result, we entertain instability in our self-concept for a time. And so from that baseline research, you know, I invite your readers or your listeners uh, to really think about the difference in scope of what's happening as they're navigating these moments, these crossroads in their lives. So changes, even though we opt oftentimes, we think change Change is very hard. Our society kind of embraces change as, you know, oh, a tough thing to do. You know, we put on our armor and we kind of battle forward. Changes typically involve an alteration or variation on something that is fixed, a known self-concept versus transitions 
welcome instability for a time. And in that, there's possibility to kind of recenter our thinking about who we are. I love that you made that distinction. I, I often say, just to, to simplify it, the change is what happens on the outside. It's the, it's the, it's the event that happens. The transitional part, that's what happens on the inside. It's so true, right? You know, because when we, when we go through a transition, we're, when I said we're recentering our thinking about who we are, what that really means is that we are, we're taking the expectations or definition of who we are and we're, we're kind of reexamining it. We're saying, hmm, you know, I carried this assumption, you know, of who I was supposed to be since childhood. And right. maybe I've outlived some components of that, right? And so this recentering is like, well, maybe I need to let go. Maybe I need to turn up the right. volume of something I may have muted in the past. Or maybe I need to welcome something that's new that's come into my experience that, frankly, is an opening and something that I really care about. And so this, this, this word recentering is from these beautiful women. They were researchers at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, their names are Ravenna Helson and Valerie Mitchell. And they came up with this notion of recentering. And I really love it. I think it is a beautiful descriptor of what's happening as we, we're going through this internal kind of um, realignment. And, um, and it's a powerful and enlivening process that, you know, thanks to all these folks that I had the good, good fortune to, to talk with, I can tell you without hesitation that these are enlivening, expansive moments in people's lives. You know, I, I often talk about this, this question that comes up for a lot of my clients, who am I now that things have changed? Mm -hmm. And I like to add, and who do you want to become? And I think that that notion of recentering is where that becoming part needs to start. For sure. And I love those questions, right? Those are questions we, we often run for the hills as soon as we hear those questions. Right? Yeah. yeah. They can yeah. be overwhelming, right? And, and it's so funny, you know, um, generationally, they're very different, right? You know, they're all age groups that participated in my research. And and people who are old enough to be in their early 20s in the 1970s, for them, they love this question, who am I? Because culturally, that was just so much a part of who we were as a society at that time. But right. really, anyone ever since um, is terrified of that question, right? Who am I? You know, it's, it's, and, and social media does us no favors, right? Because social media <laughs> wants us to anchor in a place and, and keep kind of narrowing the range of folks that are similar to us that we talk to. When in fact, you know, we are really being invited throughout our lives to revisit that question, who am I? And, and what does it mean as I look forward? And, and it really is in the courage to interrogate that question that we become who we are. You know, you, you, you use this word a lot invite invitation i i love that i've heard you say that a lot of I've, I've read it too in your books what types of invitations are you talking about well you know i i think that um the first one is to allow give ourselves permission to to open our thinking right you know very often we 
we we shouldn't or we can't or I couldn't possibly. You know, we 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 judge before we even explore, right? So the invitation first is to allow ourselves to imagine something that is different from our fixed current state. And that's that sounds trivial, but it actually is quite a big invitation, right? You know, I, I often think of it as, you know, something comes, you know, direct mail pieces come in the mail all the time. And it's like one of those ones we like throw in the recycle bin before even looking. And I, I kind of want to say like, wait a minute, um, really uh, the first invitation is giving ourselves permission to be in a place of not knowing um, because that is, can be a scary place, right? Emotions play a big role in this. I know we'll get to that in this conversation, but inviting ourselves to be okay in not knowing is probably the first um, and most powerful place that we need to go when we're encountering, um, you know, an event or a feeling that is unusual, right? You know, transitions can can occur. I mean, very often in our society, we believe the transition is the event. It's the unexpected job loss. It's the career change. It's welcoming another child or grandchild. It's the empty nest. It's it's the the post health crisis status, right? Whatever. And and I, what I've learned, and and to your earlier point. None of those events themselves are the transition. Right. What they are are invitations to consider this notion, this question of who we are and how we make meaning in the world. And I think so the invitation I'm I guess I'm I'm inviting people to to open, right? Not throw in the recycle bin, is to give ourselves permission um, to be in a state of not knowing and entertain what that question might mean. Because in that is growth, right? Because I, you know, if you'll permit me one more thing that came out of my research, right? While we all often say, oh, the transition is the unexpected job loss or the, the, the catastrophic injury that we've had to, you know, work really hard to come through and now have the opportunity to be on the other side, right? These are enormous things, but in and of themselves, they are not the transition. The transition is our willingness to reexamine our assumptions about who we are and how we make meaning in the world. I remember there was this one beautiful woman. She had suffered um, a traumatic brain injury. And, and as a, you know, early 50s person had to learn to rewalk. And she was so strong and, and fascinating and, and willing to participate in my research. And she said, you know, Linda, I'm realizing that, you know, everyone around me is cheering like, oh, yay, you did it, you're back. And she's like, no, this has nothing to do with it. She said, I feel as if I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm taking everything out of the cabinets. And before I put everything, anything in, I'm taking each item and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, hmm, does this make sense anymore? And she said, I'm fascinated by how much is on the counter. And, and I think that it's that invitation. It's like, you know, let's not throw it in the recycle bin. Let's honor these moments of unknowing as something special and see what we do with it. I love that story and that we get to do that. And I love the analogy, taking everything out of your kitchen cabinets and really looking at them with new eyes, with a whole new perspective, coming from a different place and asking, "Do does this serve me anymore? And, Do and I need it? Is, a lot of things will, right? A lot of things are non-negotiable. Sure. Yep, right back up on the counter. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot that we're carrying that that um, influences how we respond every day that may not be that beneficial. And I think that, you know, that's where the courage comes in to say, 
you know, it may be time to give ourselves permission to say, you know what, I'm going to put that one on the back burner, or maybe I'm going to leave it on the counter. It's not going in the cabinet anymore. So that leads right into this, this idea of choice and how that plays in our relationship with transition, right? It's so true. And I, and, and it's so interesting. I love that you're asking about choice because I remember in my research how few people were able to recognize these moments as choices, right? So many came in, what choice did I have? You know, my spouse died. What choice did I have? I had to redo my identity. And, and in fact, again, the, the opportunity that is resident within transition is less about the event, like the loss, the loss of a spouse or a family member, and more about how we respond to it and our willingness to think about who we are and how we make meaning in those moments. And so there is choice, even in events where we have to make changes, right? You know, if we've lost a spouse, we have to immediately make changes. We're living perhaps independently on our own for the first time in many years. There are many changes that can happen, but that does not equate to the inner questions that we we can and have the opportunity to ask. And so choice really becomes this factor of saying, will I, right? So when we enter adulthood, right, you know, or I should say, when we're involved in the lives of the very young, right, we're all really onto developmental milestones. And if a young child doesn't make a certain milestone, we kind of mobilize and we say, okay, we have to get early intervention here. We're going to make this happen. And we often do, and it has beautiful results in many, many cases. What we miss, though, is that in adulthood, we have opportunities to grow and make developmental milestones as well, and yet we kind of ignore it, right? So we, we, we you know, as a society, we by and large think that, you know, when we get into adulthood, when whether that's at 18 or 22 or 28, but when we're there, we, we kind of establish this sense of who we are, you know, we're, you know who we're going to be. Our identity becomes established in some way. And uniquely, the way we do that as young adults is we look externally, to us, our environment, whether whether that's our family, our religious affiliations, the communities we live in, where we went to school, the occupation that we've chosen, right, our ethnic racial connections, whatever it is, right, and there's loads of things in that ecosystem. But we draw our definition and expectation for who we are by taking cues from that external space. But when we grow as an adult, what we're doing is we're saying, you know, some of those expectations that I kind of scooped in from external have nothing to do with who I am. And so we we move to a place where we self-author or we anchor on more internally. We become our own seat of judgment for the things that we rely on to set our definition and expectation for who we are. And it is that progression that is the choice. We make a choice to say, you know, I'm at this moment where I think it makes sense for me to really re-examine what it is I'm, I'm carrying, what I'm about. And it's that question of who am I? And, and it isn't kind of like one swing of the bat, here I am, you know, boop, I get the answer. It really is this iterative process of becoming aware of what we're carrying, right? The assumptions that are part of who we are, and then being willing to act on them, right? It may be that we're aware and we choose not to, um, or it may be that we're aware and we have to sit with it a minute and say, well, you know, maybe I am willing to let that one go or not. I remember there was a gentleman, um, a young man in my research, 
and he was in the workplace. He was in his late 20s and he was a gay man. And he said, you know, for a long time, I operate as a straight man. He said, you know, I was in the workplace. And so he had knowledge. He was aware of the fact that an identity that he was holding was not entirely, you know, his internally aligned self. And he was okay with that. And he said, you know, I operated like that for a long time. And he said, ultimately, I was fatigued. It was really hard to try to maintain multiple identities. You know, I was one way with one small group of people, and I was a different way with every one of a number of different communities. And he's like, it was so hard. And ultimately, I decided that it was time to not deny who I was anymore and live in alignment with that truth. And I think that we all have our own experiences and circumstances that we could overlay on that story. But the choice ultimately is saying, am I willing to live in alignment with who I am? And, you know, first there is, you know, as that gentleman had to do, there's an awareness part of that to recognize that, you know, I'm not a straight man. I'm actually a gay man and, and there's no judgment. You know, that's who I am. And then a choice to then live in alignment with that. And so the choice that we we navigate as we're, we're, we're accepting this invitation that comes along with transition is to say, am I willing to turn up the volume on, you know, who I am and how I make meaning in the world? And again, that isn't like, you know, flash dance, you know, whoa, here I am. It, it typically is we take a step, we take another step and we take another step. And it, it is an iterative process, you know, that 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 and, you know, it mobilizes a lifetime sometimes. You know, it yeah. makes me it makes me think about um, how so often we are living to serve others' expectations, mm-hmm. right? And we don't really, and we get we lose sight of who we are as a result of uh, playing those roles for so mm-hmm. long that they feel right. They feel like us, but then something happens and there's a crack in the armor and, uh, and we're starting to ooze out. And that's scary. Uh, figuring out um, why that's happening and then recognizing all of the masks we have worn as we are present in the world in, in different situations. That, that story you just told of that young man reminded me of uh, you know, some of my own situations where I was living to, up to other people's expectations. Yeah, and finally, oh, I'm sorry, Maria, go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, and just finally recognizing that that really isn't, I don't feel comfortable there anymore. Right. And I, I think that sure. that's the piece. That's the piece. I don't feel comfortable there anymore. And I want to honor the fact that many of our listeners are going to say, wait a minute, I'm I'm perfectly fine in that role. I've, ad- I've ensouled that role. I love it. It's part of who I am now. And there are going to be many roles that we play that, that are in that category. Yeah. But yeah. there are others that are going to feel like, no, 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 this is suffocating me in some way. I can't, I cannot stand this, this pace, this, this cadence, this whatever any longer. And, and it really isn't a willing, a willingness. The choice is this willingness to honor that and, and consider how we respond. There isn't a prescription here. Oh, we need to respond one way. This is how we do it. It's really opening ourselves up to that. And I remember, um, I may have told you this story before Maria. I remember there was this beautiful 
this beautiful event I did long ago in Chicago, and it was for nonprofit leaders, and uh, I was training them on how to respond to various situations that were, you know, happening as a result of big transformations, you know, in their businesses or in their lives. And these two women came up right after, and one woman was in tears. And she said, oh, my God, I can hear my voice. It's screaming at me. Like, you know, she could hear it. But the concept of acting in alignment with it was terrifying. She's like, I have a lot to lose. Right. So, you know, I, I do want I want people to hear that we are we want to first recognize. Right. We have to first honor the fact that where are we? Right. And 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 part of that is just recognizing, yes, I have a voice and it may be different from the one I've used for a long time. And, and we have to sit with that and recognize what that is and, and decide how we want to respond. And right, like not missing a beat, a woman who was like right next to her on her shoulder puts her hand on over her eyebrows and starts looking in the distance. And she's pretending she's a seafarer. And she says, I haven't heard my voice in 30 years. Oh, right? Yeah. You know, right? so, so the juxtaposition of those two, like, you know, some of us can be at a moment and, and oftentimes it is triggered by an event, right? A, a, a you know, a loss, a, you know, we lose a job, we have to move, whatever. All, you know, these circumstances can trigger us to be in this place and it can help us see more of ourselves, right? And and some of that is we can we can see clearly and yet we don't yet know how to align that with our actions. And other times we we can't see at all. And you know, and and it changes. And I'll tell you, you know, in my own work, you know, I've gone through I think three cycles of transition in the last decade. And when I first started, I wholeheartedly believed it was about my job. And I said, well, this job isn't working. I need to change it. And I worked and worked and worked hard to kind of repot myself. And I did. I started kind of on the trajectory that I'm in now. And as hopefully you can tell, I love the work I do. It's just, it's my, it's, it's what I was put on this earth to do. I'm quite sure. And, and yet I became aware that there was something more. There was something more that I had to do for my transition. And it invited me to look at relationships beyond my relationship with my work. And that led me to evaluate some very personal relationships. And in my book, uh, my most recent book, Dancing with Disruption, I talk about my relationship with my mom, who's still living, and my and my spouse, right? And so, you know, I think that that I put that on the table just to say that there's a cascade effect, right? This isn't like one swing of the bat and voila, we're done. Once we open ourselves up to knowing ourselves more or seeing ourselves in a new way, that invitation continues to expand. And it really is boundaryless from the work I've done and, and um, my great fortune of meeting so many who've navigated these transitions. Once we welcome the opportunity to make this choice, it, it, it really, it doesn't end. And the, the benefits yeah. it can generate are just, they're, they're astounding. And, you know, it kind of goes back to my first thought, thought, which is how could we be not recognizing this as a society? There's so much enormous capacity that we're leaving untapped because we don't embrace these transitions. And that's a tragedy. I'm I want to go back to something the in your story. The woman said, "But I have a lot to lose." Yes. Uh, that that is it. It is a thought, and potentially an internal voice 
that a lot of women hear. Yes. And it it's what keeps them stuck. It's what stops them in their tracks because it's very scary to think that they could lose relationships in their lives because they're changing and not everyone's going to welcome the change. That's scary. It's absolutely scary. And I think that what I've found in my work and what came out of my research and it is in my book is that we need some extra skills to navigate these things successfully. And one of the, one of the primary skills is we need to learn to reframe emotions, right? Because fear right away, right? The woman was right there. She's like, this is terrifying, right? I'm in tears. I can't even envision moving an inch. This is so scary. And so reframing really asks us to have a new relationship with the emotions that present themselves. And by the way, I think our emotive system, right, is the most perfect generative AI system on the planet, right? It knows, <laughs> it knows every experience we've ever had, right? And what happens when we're at points of instability, our emotions mobilize to keep us safe, right? And mm-hmm. so our emotions, right? So if, if for that woman, fear might have been, you know, for somebody else, it's it's despair or sadness or perfectionism, right? Our emotions our emotional system will throw whatever works for us to keep us safe. And very often that means arresting our movement. And so what, what came out of my research is that we need a way to reframe emotions so we can, we can experience them, but we can take away their ability to arrest our movement. And, and reframing is a technique that um, I love because it's easy to do, right? I mean, to reframe, you know, it's as if you and I kind of went outside right now. I'm in a city, so we could go outside and I'd say, okay, Maria, draw that skyscraper. And you'd like get your little sketch pad out and voila, you do it. And then I'd say, okay, come, come, come when you're finished. And we'd go across the street and go up at the elevator of an adjacent building. And on the roof, I'd say, okay, Maria, now draw that same skyscraper. And off you go. And, and it allows you to see the same, the familiar from two radically different perspectives. Right. And that helps us slow down our reflexive responses, right? So if fear is the thing that, that, that just mobilizes to keep you in place, it's going to slow that down. And so reframing, like for me, sadness is it, right? You know, I, I get sad and that can take over. And when sadness is active for me, it's as if I'm hanging onto the end of a rope. That's sadness. And it can swing me around willy nilly, you know, anytime during the day, like it runs the day. And so the fascinating thing I think for me is that when I reframe, sadness doesn't go away, but it's as if I can drop it, you know, that rope on the ground next to me, right? I can see it, right? but it no longer has power over me. And I think that that's really, you know, from my research, when I, when I spoke to the hundreds of people about their situations, 80 of those people agreed to work with me over many years um, to test out techniques on how to navigate these transitions because, you know, the skill deficit we have in them is real because we, we don't as a society do them. So of course we're not terrific at them. Right. Yeah. And so um, reframing emotions is kind of a non-negotiable and, and that is really coming up with a new way to be with emotions that, that appear, which then allows us to continue to ask ourselves new questions. And, and that's how, you know, that woman who, who was so terrified, um, you know, begins because she begins by reframing the emotions and then she understands her opportunity in a new way. 
That that is so. I love that technique. Um, I I have used it many times in my life. For me, it is fear uh, and reframing fear and thinking about how it makes me feel, where I feel it in my body, what what's happening physically when I am afraid. Um, I, I got over my fear of public speaking because I recognized th- how it presented itself and that there were some very common um, physical presentations of fear that were very similar to when I got excited. So I reframed in this case of public speaking, I learned to reframe the feelings instead of fear, excitement. And I just kept talking about how excited I am, how I'm not, I'm not afraid, I'm excited. And it, it really mitigated a lot of those physical knees knocking, voice shaking kinds of things that happened with fear. I could then control them because I was excited. So I love reframing. I think that it is a powerful tool and we can use it in so many ways with no so many of our emotions. I would never have thought that you had a public speaking fear, Maria, as you do such a lovely <laughs> job on your on your podcast and on this TV show. It's so, so that's, that's lovely. And Thank I would you. say there's a, there's a four-step um, reframing technique that is um, in the most recent book, Dancing with Disruption, which has people step through four questions that are you know, extensively tested to really do what you're describing, which is can help us move through an experience of an emotion like fear. Right. And, and, and have a different relationship with that, you know, that there's excitement there. And it's, it is for anyone, right? I, you know, as somebody now who's, who's studied this and, and uh, during the pandemic, you know, I had high schoolers who were at home and I was trying to pattern good behavior. So I started to do a doctorate in human development. So now I think I've done a lot of research and then I've read other people's research. And because of that, I would say that reframing has got to be one of the most important modern techniques to do anything, let alone navigate a transition. I agree. I so agree with that. It's a it's a skill we all should learn and figure and and learn how how uh, beneficial it is in so many circumstances. All right. So um, we have talked about um, transitions and how they can signal those of us who work in this area we know that they can signal hope and optimism for for some people hearing that they're they're gonna go are you getting (laughs) what do you mean it signals hope and optimism because they're in the trenches with it so how can how can we be sure that we're working towards those positive outcomes uh when we are in the in the throes of a transition? Well, I think there are um, probably two things I would say, right? One is I would say always ask yourself about the scope of what you're going through, right? Is it a change or is it a transition? And there's no absolute answer there, but even asking ourselves the question can help us open, right? We can open um, to, to imagining what actually might be powerful and op- an opportunity to move us forward, right? So scope is important. 
But the second thing is, is I'm going to go right to reframing, right? And and I think that um, part of the technique that I teach in my book is a four-step, but the two that you can do right away is in any situation, ask yourself about what emotions are active. Honor them by naming them, right? You know, Maria just told us fear was a part of one of hers. You know, I, I can tell you that when I'm in an unstable time, sadness is something that comes up for me, right? Ask ourselves, what are the ones that are there? And list them out loud. Um, and just giving them, honoring them with time and space can begin to change our relationship with them. But the second thing is, is ask yourself how they influence you. And very often when we take the time to listen to ourselves and we say, okay, fear, how does it influence me? Or sadness, how does it influence me? Very often it causes us to go inside. And, and in that, we often overlay other meaning to that. You know, oh, I must have a deficit. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. Oh, I don't know. So I have to stay right here until I know. And those two questions, honoring, asking what emotions are present and asking how they influence you can begin the conversation of realizing that, in fact, our emotions are our emotions. They are not a, a proxy for our self-worth. They are not a characteristic. They are an impermanent state, very often uh, mobilized to try to arrest our movement, not support it. And so, um, Maria, I would ask those sets of questions, right? A scope question, and I would ask a couple reframing questions, because I think both of those can begin a process that, that can be transformative in our lives, and, and I think that that's it. You know, you know, people always come up and ask me, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I, I think at the end of the day, we need to be willing to ask ourselves new questions and, and not the questions we know the answer to. Like I'm saying really new questions. And I think that aperture, opening that aperture can be a gift of the lifetime. And therein lies the, the hope right. and creating the optimism around, you know, there. This is not, I love it that you just said, uh, emotions don't define us. They are not who we are. They're temporary. They're impermanent. They, they, they ebb and flow. And that's such an important thing to remember, that it's temporary and that you will you will move through it. I have a very dear friend, Paula, who talks about these emotions coming up and out of us. And when they come out, that's when we can actually look at them with, with great perspective, right? Because we are now an objective observer. And when you ask, how do they influence us? That's a way of looking at them objectively. And Maria, what we're trying to do with that question, that influence question, is we're distancing ourselves from the emotion, right? Your friend right. is right. right. And for people who've studied psychology, they know that technique as externalization, right? We push it out of ourselves, right? We try to get an objective perspective on it because that can all of a sudden free us up. And, and I do want to honor that as we're going through transitions, emotions... It's not like we clear them and all of a sudden they're gone, right? They're a part of it all along the way. And I remember there was this one woman, and do we have time for a story? A quick story, yeah. There's one woman in the, in the book, uh, Lakshmi, who is somebody who in her, her mid-30s came to a point where she said, you know, this isn't who I want to be. And she had spent 
more than a decade in this MD PhD program. She was in it, you know, working hard. This was, she's like, I've never even dreamed outside of being this person who I, who I am now. And she's like, it was crushing. This realization was crushing. And so there were all sorts of emotions that she had just trying to get comfortable with the fact of recognizing that wasn't who she wanted to be. But those, but emotions didn't stop there. They walked with her all the way as she continued to gain awareness and make changes. And ultimately, she found herself in a, in a new place after a lot of hard work. And she said, you know, my coworkers now describe me as funny and a good leader. And she said, you know, now the emotion is I'm completely astonished because that was never who I was. And she's like, I have to reframe even that to believe it. So I just I just want people to recognize that our emotions aren't necessarily gates. Right. Very often we're like, oh, if only I could get over my anxiety, if I could get over my fill in the blank, then everything will be fine. And what I've learned in the last decade and certainly working with loads of people is that our emotions are a persistent companion. They're with us all along the way. And this ability to reframe them can empower you in a thousand different situations. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. That's a great story. And and you're so right. You know, and we say it so often. I need to get over my grief. I need to get over my anxiety. I need to get over it, whatever it is. And it's not really about getting over it. It is about, because it's always there. Our emotions are there ultimately to protect us, yes. right? And, 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 and from, you know, from day one, right? Um, but if we can, re- this technique of reframing is so, um, so essential to ad- adjusting, adapting to living with the emotion in a new way. Exactly right. Changing that relationship can change our lives. Yeah. Well, as always, when I talk with you, we could talk for hours about about this. I have so many questions, but I, I, we need to do a wrap up here. So I would love it if you would help us with, you know, sharing your, maybe some new tips that you haven't shared with us or some key, um, takeaways that we our our audience can leave with Linda what have you got what's your first one well I think it's around reframing right Uh, this notion of reframing is essential and I think that practicing it is very important and so I would ask everyone that when they when they experience an emotion Today, tomorrow, when you're in the grocery store checkout line, it doesn't matter when. Take the moment and ask yourself how that emotion is influencing you. And if you have one more second before you kind of head through the checkout line, ask what meaning that emotion has in your experience. And I promise you the answers to those questions will be, will be um, incredibly powerful, right? Again, we're going to name an emotion. We're going to see how it influences us. And then we're going to ask, what meaning does that emotion have in our experience? And, you know, for somebody who has anxiety or somebody who has perfectionism, very quickly they can often get to, oh, you know, I, I, I you know, always had perfectionism as a young kid because I was told I was a terrible writer. And so I had to spend a thousand hours making my, my essays, 
you know, perfect. And um, just those two questions alone um, are some of the most powerful um, techniques we can use uh, to begin to reframe, which then can allow us to get to some of the extraordinary opportunities that await every single person. This isn't just for the few. Maria, I, I hope that your listeners understand this, right? This isn't just for, you know, the few or the one that, you know, was the first through the gates on the, on the race. It isn't. The reality is, is that all of us, every adult, have the opportunity to turn up the volume on our own voices. And the way we do that is going progressing through transitions. And, and to do that well, or to do that really at all, we need to learn how to reframe. So um, I invite people to do that as my tip. Linda, that is, is the most impactful uh, tool I know of. Uh, I learned it a long time ago. I am so happy that you are sharing that with our audience because it, it has been a game changer for mm -hmm. me personally and for a lot of my clients that I teach and through your books. Um, you teaching it and, and the speaking that you're doing around uh, the country and probably around the world. Um, it, it, I'm just so happy that, that you are teaching this. Literally, it's a life changer when, when we learn to, to gain perspective on our emotions and how they affect us and how they hold us back, how they push us forward. It's that ebb and flow and, and we have our and, and the choices we make and the voice we use. I think I think this is just also very important. I, I really appreciate you being with us. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for the opportunity to join you and congratulations again on the wonderful work that you do. I'm cheering for you from here. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about my favorite topic. Your favorite topic and mine. That's <laughs> what. <laughs> so, yeah, again, Linda, I, I know you're traveling. I appreciate that you made time for us today um, and that you shared your brilliance with us. Thank you again. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. And for those who are watching and listening, I really appreciate that you are a part of our community. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a comment, click a star, let us know what you liked about it. And as I said at the top of the show, I love creating and sharing resources for women. Plus as a career and a life coach, I work with women to help them navigate challenging times more quickly and gracefully. So if something in this episode resonates with you and you'd like a fresh perspective, reach out and let's talk. The links to connect with us are in the show notes below. And uh, let's meet here again next Thursday, like every Thursday now, 10 a.m. Pacific time on E360 TV for another inspiring conversation. Because you know what? I believe it's our time to thrive. So let's thrive together. Till next time, I'm Maria Tomas Keegan, helping you turn transition into triumph.